Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. Today we will talk about how each and every one of us has all the ingredients to become a saint. And oftentimes those ingredients are through the humdrum, often boring, very simple, mundane moments and tasks of life. Oftentimes when we think of the saints, we think of these glorious endeavors and moments, such as I was just with a group of people who were talking about St. Lawrence, okay, the saint who was grilled alive and As he was being martyred for love of the Lord, he kept his sense of humor and said, I'm done on this side. You can flip me over. Okay, So we hear these often wild and crazy stories um, about the saints and uh, think like, ah, that's not really reflective of my life. Or I can't quite imagine uh, joking as I'm being, you know, grilled over a pit uh, for love of Jesus Christ. But what we talk about today and what we'll see from some of these catechism passages, we'll cover paragraphs 901 through 933 today on the second half of the episode. Uh, We'll talk about how um, God uses those very simple moments of our day-to-day, and if we embrace them and direct them back to God um, consciously, sometimes unconsciously, subconsciously, Uh, they can be used to sanctify us and sanctify the world. And thank God for that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh my gosh, where did the day go and what did I do with today? So uh, we'll we'll dive into that a little bit more deeply today. Um, I recall one of my last teaching assignments at one of my last teaching assignments um, for a high school in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. We, every Christmas and Easter before the break at school, Um, or at the beginning of the break, the teachers would go on retreat together. So the school would host for the teachers, the staff, the faculty, um, either like a half day or or full day retreat at a local retreat center where we would often have a guest speaker. We would attend mass, have the opportunity to go to confession and um, hopefully have some, some key takeaways, some beautiful reflection points to bring into the Christmas season, to bring into the Easter season. And then to bring back to our students after the break. So it was a great, great practice. And um, I remember most keenly uh, this one retreat, and it, it subsequently affected my teaching and I would say my life moving forward, with a priest who was, I believe he was an oblate of St. Francis, so a, a priest from the area that our school had invited to um, preach a retreat to us. And as he was giving this particular talk, He said at one point, you know, it's not only what you teach, whether that's math or English or in my case, theology, but it's how you teach it that is instructive to your students. So it's not only what you teach, the actual material, but how you teach. So are you patient? Are you kind? Also, do you, you know, rush through the material and then really put an emphasis on the papers, the tests, uh, the kids' GPAs, um, what, what is it that you emphasize? How do you emphasize that? And how do you communicate your material? And I, it was very simple, uh, but very profound. And it just bowled me over in the moment because my students would often say to me, you know, we're going too fast or, you know, you're making this like an EP class. It doesn't need to be this hard. And I would always chalk it up to like, ah, come on, guys, like, don't be lazy or 
Um, oftentimes in Catholic education, students view theology class as kind of like the easy class, the class where you come in, you kick back, and you, you just talk about how much you love Jesus. And um, I wanted to convey the the beauty and the seriousness of our faith. Um, but I, upon thinking of their comments in light of what this priest said on our retreat, I didn't want them to think that it was like a, you know, I don't know, preparation for the SAT or something. That that was not how I wanted them to view the class. And so I took that break, whether it was a Christmas break or an Easter break, to really prayerfully f- reflect on not only what I was teaching, but how I was teaching. And coming back after that break, I decided that we were going to commit one class every week, or at least a, a good portion of one class each week, to walking down to the chapel as a class. So this this school had a beautiful chapel where the Blessed Sacrament was um, reposed in the tabernacle. And we were going to pray together as a class, whether that was sitting silently, you know, in the, the calm, beautiful uh, sanctuary, or whether it was doing uh, the practice, praying the practice of Lexio Divina, reading a scripture passage, prayerfully considering it, whether it was praying a decade of the rosary or a full rosary or any number of different prayers. I wanted to make a part of our class um, and our class culture, not just talking about prayer, but prayer itself, praying together as a class so that they not only learned what a rosary was or what Lexio Divina is, but that they had actually been immersed in it, walked through it, and hopefully brought it into their hearts, their minds, their lives. So when I introduced this to my class partway through the year, they were initially thrilled. They were like, this is great. We don't have to have class one day a week. And um, even till the end, you know, some students were like, oh, this is great. I get to sleep in the chapel every Friday during uh, Mrs. Doherty's theology class. Um, But what I think some students gained by the end, you know, some would would tell me at the end of, of the semester, end of the school year, you know, I thought this was just like a way for you not have to to have to prepare a lesson. Um, but what I found is that I feel so peaceful in the chapel, you know, in a, a day, a week, a month that's so anxiety inducing for me, I look forward to your class and I look forward to just sitting in the presence of Jesus in the chapel. And, um, so that really just, uh, was, was confirming to me that we needed to do this. I needed to do this every year with each of my classes, Um, So often we hear, like, we need to pray. We need to devote time to pray each day. But um, unless we are raised in a family that that prays habitually or, um, you know, we have friends or colleagues or whomever, people in our lives who really inculcate a prayer life, help us inculcate a prayer life, um, it's hard to just learn from from reading um, about it. So it's not only what we teach, but how we teach it. Or we could say more broadly, it's not only what we say, but how we say it. Not only what we proclaim, but how we proclaim it. How we live our lives. It's one thing as Christians to talk about, um, you know, the the virtues, um, the sacraments, the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's a whole nother thing to put those things into practice. So I like to say that, that the teachings of Jesus Christ are, are pretty simple. Okay, they're pretty straightforward, not complicated, um, but they're not easy. Okay, it's one thing to be simple. It's another to be easy. It's, it, it's hard to be patient. It's hard not to gossip. It's hard not to be judgmental um, or hold you know, hatred or resentment in my heart. But people pick up on that. 
and are either turned towards the truth, the beauty of the Catholic faith, or they are uh, reviled by it. They're turned away from that. And so, um, again, we talked today about how we can use every moment of our lives to achieve great things. And oftentimes it's, it's through faithfulness to those simple, mundane moments, um, which are actually very hard. And if we do it, very heroic. So let's read um, this first paragraph from today's selection, paragraph 901, which talks about uh, offering up each moment of the day, including, and I particularly like this, our relaxation of mind and body. So even when we're resting, that can be offered up to the Lord and be instructive uh, for those around us. I think that particularly struck me from paragraph 901 because, as I mentioned with my, you know, recapping how it went with some of my theology classes, I'm often driven to, you know, uh, accomplish things thoroughly and well in some might say um, a type A or anal retentive kind of way. And so sometimes when I'm relaxing or kicking back, I feel like I'm being lazy. And what the catechism uh, helps us understand today is that we are made not just to work, 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 um, but even to, or maybe especially at times, to relax. And that can be offered beautifully to God. So we don't have to be these little work machines um, to be pleasing to God and to become saints one day. My sister, uh, a couple months ago, recommended to me this book called 4,000 Weeks, which uh, is written by a gentleman who he wrote for a major publication. Um, and he was there for years, kind of their efficiency guru. So he was the guy who was always working on being efficient himself and then would write extensively on different efficiency practices. And one day he realized that being so efficient, he was actually taking on all these tasks of other people who were less efficient because they looked to him as the efficiency guy. And he thought, wait a minute, I'm doing all these things um, for other people so that they can enjoy their lives, but I'm not enjoying my life. And so he writes this book um, at a pivotal moment in his life called 4,000 Weeks, where um, I guess based on the typical lifespan, late 70s, early 80s, we each live about 4,000 weeks. And then that's it. And when phrased that way, it's like, oh, dang, 4,000 weeks, that doesn't seem like a long time. What am I doing with my 4,000 weeks? And two, uh, two takeaways from the book after reading it, I found where one, he said, practice doing nothing. So take a moment each day or each week to sit back and do nothing, which I think is very hard for many of us, especially in our efficiency-driven, productivity-driven culture, um, such that you know, I'll try to take time each day to go outside with my kids. But while they play on the lawn or in the backyard, I will sit there and, um, you know, write a thank you note or do my shopping, uh, grocery shopping on my phone via the Instacart app or, you know, catch up on text messages or emails because I feel uncomfortable just sitting and not doing anything. So first he says, practice doing nothing. And then the second thing he says that was very striking to me is be present to every moment however mundane. So be present to every moment, however mundane. There will be lots of highs and lows in our lives, such a, lots of trials and, and joys and sufferings and beautiful moments. Um, but then we will also have lots of moments where it's just quiet and kind of boring and not much is going on. And he says, be present even to those moments because therein lies a lot of, a lot of beauty and um, fulfillment in life. 
I used to tell my students that um, if I'm ever made a saint, I would like to be known as Saint Rebecca of the Mundane, um, because I think there's really this is this is a secret, one of the many secrets to happiness, and that we can find joy and fulfillment in the mundane moments of life. Um, the kids though remember that as as hey, you want to be remembered as Saint Rebecca the Mundane. I'm like no, Saint Rebecca of the Mundane. Although maybe I am mundane, maybe I am a boring character, and that would be great. That would be humbling and beautiful to be remembered as Saint Rebecca the Mundane. Um, I often laugh when when people, speaking of of humble saints, um, when people say, myself included, say the the very traditional Saint Anthony prayer when we you know lose something we're looking for, Saint Anthony, Saint Anthony, please come around. Something is lost and cannot be found. I was shocked a few years ago to find out that St. Anthony of Padua is one of the doctors of the church. So there are, I believe, 37 doctors of the church, and they are men and women, saints of the the Catholic church, who wrote uh, something or many somethings in such a way that it contributed to, has contributed to our understanding of the the sacred scriptures and the Catholic faith. So for example, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas brilliant, brilliant, maybe one of the most brilliant minds of, of Western civilization ever, uh, but definitely one of the most brilliant minds of the Catholic Church, wrote extensively, uh, most notably the Summa Theologica, this, this beautiful work which unpacks so many teachings of our faith. Um, St. Augustine, uh, the most quoted saint in the catechism, wrote extensively on many topics that help us understand our Catholic faith. Well, St. Anthony of Padua is a doctor of the church. He too wrote uh, in such a way that his writings have contributed to our understanding of the Catholic faith of the sacred scriptures. And so I always think it's like an added humility bonus on his part that he's become kind of like this kitschy little little uh, saint statue you keep on your you know windowsill. Um, and you look to him when you've lost your car keys or your cell phone or or something important, and then say, you know, this little rhymey prayer, Saint Anthony, Saint Anthony, please come around. And I just picture him up in heaven, like, um, did you also know that I, I I am actually quite a bright light who contributed to your understanding of the Catholic faith. So even beyond death, he uh, he is saintly in his his humility. Okay, so back to. Uh, offering up every moment, however glamorous, glorious, or mundane, uh, we can offer up each of these moments to the Lord. And so we read in paragraph 901 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church the following. Hence the laity, so those who are not um, in a life of consecration or an ordained minister, part of the hierarchy of the church, uh, hence the laity, dedicated as they are to Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit, are marvelously called and prepared so that even richer fruits of the Spirit may be produced in them. For all their works, prayers, and apostolic undertakings, family and married life, daily work, relaxation of mind and body, if they are accomplished in the Spirit, indeed even the hardships of life, if patiently borne, all these become spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the celebration of the Eucharist, these may most fittingly be offered to the Father along with the body of the Lord. And so, worshiping everywhere by their holy actions, the laity consecrate the world itself to God, everywhere offering worship by the holiness of their lives. Man, so many beautiful lines in there. So we can offer up uh, the relaxation of mind and body, okay, not just going to church, praying the rosary, um, undertaking apostolic activities, so teaching CCD, teaching in a Catholic school, um, 
you know, doing be, being an RCIA sponsor, these, um, you know, very overt kind of Catholic apostolic undertakings, but even our daily work. OK, so if you are a lawyer, a tax accountant, a school therapist, um, we can offer up that daily work. Also, we can offer up our relaxation of mind and body. OK, thank you, Lord, for this this opportunity to rest. Um, to enjoy the beauty of creation, the beauty of my family and friends. I offer this up to you um, as worship. Okay, so towards the end of the paragraph, it says, Worshiping everywhere by their holy actions, the laity consecrate the world itself to God, everywhere offering worship by the holiness of their lives. So the way we live our lives can be worship of God, okay, giving glory to him, hopefully drawing others to him in the process and then living ourselves the blessed life that he has in mind for each of us. I'm also struck by this line right at the middle of that paragraph, even, indeed, even the hardships of life, if patiently born. Okay. I believe that each and every one of us experiences daily hardships, okay, whether that's, um, you know, sitting behind someone at a traffic light, you see that he or she is on his or her cell phone, and as a result, they miss the light, you then miss going through the light and are, you know, a few minutes late to your dental appointment. Wow, Becca, that sounds strangely autobiographical. Did that happen to you this week? Maybe. Um, so in that moment of frustration, uh, we, can, we can patiently bear that tiny little hardship and as a result, uh, give glory to God. Maybe not in that moment, but at some point in the day or some point later in life, experience the peace that comes by by presenting that hardship to God. And if anyone's watching, hopefully bring them to God as well. Like, wow, she calls herself a Christian, and whereas most people would have laid on the horn or given the finger or who knows what, uh, she patiently bore that. Okay, maybe there's something to this Christianity. I say this uh, anecdote like I'm the heroine in this situation. I am often the person, the first car in line, looking at my cell phone when the light is, you know, has already changed and people are laying on the horn behind me. So sorry to all whom I've made wait at a traffic light who have been a couple minutes late to their appointment uh, because of me. Sorry. So all of these moments we experience throughout the day, if patiently born, if offered to the Lord, can become, as paragraph 901 says, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So through those, those hidden moments, those quiet moments, those boring, mundane moments, we can offer up worship, praise, gratitude, thanksgiving, uh, spiritual sacrifice to God. God gives us uh, all the ingredients to become a saint. And again, while they're not glamorous, they're not always you know, as glorious as what we might read about in the lives of the saints, um, they come to us moment by moment and through them can make us saints as well. Paragraph 908 says, By his obedience unto death, Christ communicated to his disciples the gift of royal freedom so that they might by the self-abnegation of a holy life overcome the reign of sin in themselves. So the self-abnegation of a holy life. So in addition to those quiet moments we can offer to the Lord, we can also uh, deny ourselves little things, offer up uh, literal little sacrifices that are also pleasing to God, can bless us and bless the world. Paragraph 908 goes on to say, That man is rightly called a king who makes his own body an obedient subject and, by governing himself with suitable rigor, refuses to let his passions breed rebellion in his soul, for he exercises a kind of royal power over himself. 
and because he knows how to rule his own person as king, so too does he sit as its judge. He will not let himself be imprisoned by sin or thrown headlong into wickedness. And that's a quote from St. Ambrose. If you look at the, the footnote of um, at the bottom of the page, it references footnote 446. Look at the bottom there. We see that's a quote from St. Ambrose. And so in addition to exercising our priestly office as baptized Christians, so remember as, as baptized Christians, we participate in Christ's priestly prophetic and kingly missions. So in addition to participating in the priestly mission of Jesus Christ by offering up these moments of our day-to-day to to him on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of the world, um, we can participate in his prophetic office, literally proclaiming the word of God, teaching um, the beauty of of our faith. Um, But lastly, we can exercise our kingly office by reigning over ourselves, okay, our passions, by reigning over sin and uh, dealing with that in ourselves before we then go out and deal with that in the world. So we have the simple, again, not easy, but simple tools to accomplish or help us accomplish this mission, um, that of daily prayer, frequent reception of the Eucharist, frequent going to confession. And then each day what we can do before you know we even get out of bed is just make a daily offering to God. God, I offer you every prayer, work, joy, and suffering of the day. All that I am and have and do and think and feel and pray and say, I offer it to you. Because once our feet hit the floor, the frustrations, the anxieties, the distractions of the day rush in, and it's very easy to get to the end of the day and think like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Did I did I make any of that about God? Did I offer any of that to God? And so if we just give a blanket, God, everything that happens today is for you, Um, it becomes intentional. Even if we're not fully present to it each moment throughout the day, we've already given it to God and he can make good use of that, again, for ourselves and for the world. Recently, I've been praying through the intercession of St. Irenaeus of Lyon, one of the early writers of the church who wrote against the the heresy of Gnosticism. And uh, within the last year, I don't know what the status is as of today, but Pope Francis said that he was going to proclaim him too uh, a doctor of the church because his writings so wonderfully contributed to our understanding of the faith. So you might be familiar with his very famous quote, uh, the glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. In other words, when we we live our lives well, we give glory to God. And so I've also been praying uh, each morning in addition to God, take every moment of today and and make it, do with it what you will. Um, I've been praying through the intercession of of St. Irenaeus, um, who said, the glory of God is man fully alive. I've been praying, St. Irenaeus, please ask God to remove from me anything that is not of him and then to purify, magnify, and continue to grow in me anything that is of him so that God can, can make me fully alive and give great glory um, so that I and, and others are, are drawn closer to him. I also like to pray, and these are just different, different ideas, different things you know, we, we can use at the beginning of each day, or if you forget at the beginning of the day, you know, whenever you think of it, offer God anything I already have done, I'm doing right now, and I'm about to do. Uh, may it be for your greater glory. I, I also like to pray, Holy Spirit, may I be attentive to your every prompting, movement, and whispering in my life today. So if you if you lead me to think of a certain person, or uh, may I pray for him or her. If you think lead me to you know do a certain thing, may I do it before the day is done. 
Um, please help me be attentive to your promptings because you see the big picture, Lord. You know what is important, what's not important, and what will bring me and others closer to you. So here we go. This week, may we, Lord, by by your grace, uh, live each moment, however high, low, or mundane it may be. Um, may we live it well and for your greater glory. Uh, Lord, may you use the very specific circumstances, again, however glamorous, however mundane, to sanctify and bless the world. Through our embrace of and bearing well each details of our lives, make us saints and help us all to share in your own blessed life for all of eternity, beginning even now. Amen. We're going to take a brief break, and then we'll return in the second half of the episode to read paragraphs 901 through 933. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 901 through 933 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The participation of lay people in Christ's priestly office. Hence the laity, dedicated as they are to Christ and anointed by the Holy Spirit, are marvelously called and prepared so that even richer fruits of the Spirit may be produced in them. For all their works, prayers, and apostolic undertakings, family and married life, daily work, relaxation of mind and body, if they are accomplished in the Spirit, indeed even the hardships of life, if patiently borne, all these become spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the celebration of the Eucharist, these may most fittingly be offered to the Father along with the body of the Lord. And so, worshiping everywhere by their holy actions, the laity consecrate the world itself to God, everywhere offering worship by the holiness of their lives. In a very special way, parents share in the office of sanctifying by leading a conjugal life in the Christian spirit and by seeing to the Christian education of their children. Lay people who possess the required qualities can be admitted permanently to the ministries of lector and acolyte. When the necessity of the church warrants it and when ministers are lacking, lay persons, even if they are not lectors or acolytes, can also supply for certain of their offices, namely to exercise the ministry of the word, to preside over liturgical prayers, to confer baptism, and to distribute Holy Communion in accord with the prescriptions of law. Participation in Christ's prophetic office. Christ fulfills his prophetic office not only by the hierarchy, but also by the laity. He accordingly both establishes them as witnesses and provides them with the sense of the faith and the grace of the word. To teach in order to lead others to faith is the task of every preacher and of each believer. Lay people also fulfill their prophetic mission by evangelization, that is, the proclamation of Christ by word and the testimony of life. For lay people, this evangelization acquires a specific property and peculiar efficacy because it is accomplished in the ordinary circumstances of the world. This witness of life, however, is not the sole element in the apostolate. The true apostle is on the lookout for occasions of announcing Christ by word, either to unbelievers or to the faithful. Lay people who are capable and trained may also collaborate in catechetical formation, in teaching the sacred sciences, and in use of the communications media. In accord with the knowledge, competence, and preeminence which they possess, 
Lay people have the right, and even at times a duty, to manifest to the sacred pastors their opinions on matters which pertain to the good of the church, and they have a right to make their opinion known to the other Christian faithful, with due regard to the integrity of faith and morals and reverence toward their pastors, and with consideration for the common good and the dignity of persons. Participation in Christ's kingly office. By his obedience unto death, Christ communicated to his disciples the gift of royal freedom, so that they might by the self-abnegation of a holy life overcome the reign of sin in themselves. That man is rightly called a king who makes his own body an obedient subject, and, by governing himself with suitable rigor, refuses to let his passions breed rebellion in his soul, for he exercises a kind of royal power over himself. And because he knows how to rule his own person as king, so too does he sit as its judge. He will not let himself be imprisoned by sin or thrown headlong into wickedness. Moreover, by uniting their forces, let the laity so remedy the institutions and conditions of the world when the latter are an inducement to sin, that these may be conformed to the norms of justice, favoring rather than hindering the practice of virtue. By so doing, they will impregnate culture and human works with a moral value. The laity can also feel called, or be in fact called, to cooperate with their pastors in the service of the the ecclesial community for the sake of its growth and life. This can be done through the exercise of different kinds of ministries according to the grace and charisms which the Lord has been pleased to bestow on them. In the church, lay members of the Christian faithful can cooperate in the exercise of this power of governance in accord with the norm of law. And so the church provides for their presence at particular councils, diocesan synods, pastoral councils, the exercise of the pastoral care of a parish, collaboration in finance committees, and participation in ecclesiastical tribunals, etc. The faithful should distinguish carefully between the rights and the duties which they have as belonging to the church and those which follow them as members of the human society. They will strive to unite the two harmoniously, remembering that in every temporal affair they are to be guided by a Christian conscience, since no human activity, even of the temporal order, can be withdrawn from God's dominion. Thus, every person, through these gifts given to him, is at once the witness and the living instrument of the mission of the church itself, according to the measure of Christ's bestowal. The Consecrated Life The state of life which is constituted by the profession of the evangelical councils, while not entering into the hierarchical structure of the church, belongs undeniably to her life and holiness. Evangelical Councils, Consecrated Life Christ proposes the evangelical counsels in their great variety to every disciple. The perfection of charity, to which all the faithful are called, entails for those who freely follow the call to consecrated life the obligation of practicing chastity and celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, poverty, and obedience. It is the profession of these counsels within a permanent state of life recognized by the church that characterizes the life consecrated to God. The state of consecrated life is thus one way of experiencing a more intimate consecration, rooted in baptism and dedicated totally, totally to God. In the consecrated life, Christ's faithful, moved by the Holy Spirit, propose to follow Christ more nearly, to give themselves to God who is loved above all, and, pursuing the perfection of charity in the service of the kingdom, to signify and proclaim in the church the glory of the world to come. One Great Tree with Many Branches from the God-given seed of the councils, a wonderful and widespreading tree has grown up in the field of the Lord, branching out into various forms of the religious life lived in solitude or in community. Different religious families have come into existence in which spiritual resources are multiplied for the progress and holiness of their members and for the good of the entire body of Christ. 
From the very beginning of the church, there were men and women who set out to follow Christ with greater liberty and to imitate him more closely by practicing the evangelical counsels. They led lives dedicated to God, each in his own way. Many of them, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, became hermits or founded religious families. These the church, by virtue of her authority, gladly accepted and approved. Bishops will always strive to discern new gifts of consecrated life granted to the church by the Holy Spirit. The approval of new forms of consecrated life is reserved to the apostolic see. The Eremitic Life Without always professing the three evangelical councils publicly, hermits devote their life to the praise of God and salvation of the world through a stricter separation from the world, the silence of solitude, and assiduous prayer and penance. They manifest to everyone the interior aspect of the mystery of the church, that is personal intimacy with Christ. Hidden from the eyes of men, the life of the hermit is a silent preaching of the Lord, to whom he has surrendered his life simply because he is everything to him. Here is a particular call to find in the desert, in the thick of spiritual battle, the glory of the crucified one. Consecrated Virgins and Widows From apostolic times, Christian virgins and widows, called by the Lord to cling only to him with greater freedom of heart, body, and spirit, have decided with the church's approval to live in the respective states of virginity or perpetual chastity for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Virgins who, committed to the holy plan of following Christ more closely, are consecrated to God by the diocesan bishop, according to the approved liturgical rite, are betrothed mystically to Christ, the Son of God, and are dedicated to the service of the church. By this solemn rite, the virgin is constituted a sacred person, a transcendent sign of the church's love for Christ, and an eschatological image of this heavenly bride of Christ and of the life to come. As with other forms of consecrated life, the order of virgins establishes the woman living in the world, or the nun, in prayer, penance, service of her brethren, and apostolic activity, according to the state of life and spiritual gifts given to her. Consecrated virgins can form themselves into associations to observe their commitment more faithfully. Religious life. Religious life was born in the East during the first centuries of Christianity. Lived within institutes canonically erected by the Church, it is distinguished from other forms of consecrated life by its liturgical character, public profession of the evangelical councils, fraternal life led in common, and witness given to the union of Christ with the Church. Religious life derives from the mystery of the Church. It is a gift she has received from her Lord, a gift she offers as a stable way of life to the faithful called by God to profess the councils. Thus, the Church can both show forth Christ and acknowledge herself to be the Savior's bride. Religious life in its various forms is called to signify the very charity of God in the language of our time. All religious, whether exempt or not, take their place among the collaborators of the diocesan bishop in his pastoral duty. From the outset of the work of evangelization, the missionary planting and expansion of the church require the presence of the religious life in all its forms. History witnesses to the outstanding service rendered by religious families in the propagation of the faith and in the formation of new churches. From the ancient monastic institutions to the medieval orders, all the way to the more recent congregations. Secular Institutes A secular institute is an institute of consecrated life in which the Christian faithful living in the world strive for the perfection of charity and work for the sanctification of the world, especially from within. By a life perfectly and entirely consecrated to such sanctification, the members of these institutes share in the church's task of evangelization, in the world and from within the world, where their presence acts as leaven in the world. 
Their witness of a Christian life aims to order temporal things according to God and inform the world with the power of the gospel. They commit themselves to the evangelical councils by sacred bonds and observe among themselves the communion and fellowship appropriate to their particular secular way of life. Societies of Apostolic Life Alongside the different forms of consecrated life are societies of apostolic life whose members, without religious vows, pursue the particular apostolic purpose of their society and lead a life as brothers or sisters in common according to a particular manner of life, strive for the perfection of charity through the observance of the constitutions. Among these, there are societies in which the members embrace the evangelical councils according to their constitutions. Consecration and Mission, Proclaiming the King Who Is Coming Already dedicated to him through baptism, the person who surrenders himself to the God he loves above all else thereby consecrates himself more intimately to God's service and to the good of the church. By the state of life consecrated to God, the church manifests Christ and shows us how the Holy Spirit acts so wonderfully in her. And so the first mission of those who profess the evangelical councils is to live out their consecration. Moreover, since members of institutes of consecrated life dedicate themselves through their consecration to the service of the church, they are obliged in a special manner to engage in missionary work in accord with the character of the institute. In the church, which is like the sacrament, the sign and instrument, of God's own life, the consecrated life is seen as a special sign of the mystery of redemption. To follow and imitate Christ more nearly and to manifest more clearly his self-emptying is to be more deeply present to one's contemporaries in the heart of Christ. For those who are on this narrower path encourage their brethren by their example and bear striking witness that the world cannot be transfigured and offered to God without the spirit of the Beatitudes. Whether the witness is public, as in the religious state, or less public, or even secret, Christ's coming remains for all those consecrated, both the origin and rising sun of their life. For the people of God has here no lasting city, and this state reveals more clearly to all believers the heavenly goods which are already present in this age, witnessing to the new and eternal life which we have acquired through the redemptive work of Christ, and preluding our future resurrection and the glory of the heavenly kingdom. This brings us to the end of our reading selection for the week, the end of our episode for the week. Thanks again for joining me. Between now and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast, and I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends, and connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week, and in the meantime, God bless you.